Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, we're all wrapped up with our hot drinks and our scarves and our wooliness. Happy Christmas, Rachel. <laughs> Is that an Irish accent? Yeah. Happy Christmas, Happy Rachel. Christmas, if Rachel. I can do the accent you're doing, you're not doing my accent. Happy New Year. Oh, fucking Different, hell. No? Welcome to Upfront. I'm Clay Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Vivian Miedemar is back, Woo! people. Come on. The forward made her return to the pitch on Sunday and it was an epic sight to behold. It's happy times across North London at Tottenham as well with Martha Thomas banging the goals in. But after a four straight defeat, it's time to find out what is going on at Aston Villa. We also discuss Arsenal's statement after their all-white squad photo and we have our say on the Champions League format as Manchester United join a long list of big, big names crashing out in the qualifying stages. Rach, before we get stuck into a fairly quiet weekend given the controversy of um you know we've had acls we've had the red card gate we've had a lot going on in the first couple of weeks you know leicester at the top of the table upsets yeah um it's been a fairly quiet week what's been your moment of the weekend it's gonna be leicester it's okay. gonna be leicester going brave going three two two three really narrow um outfit against manchester city and it almost paid off they almost came away with a draw it was a really enjoyable match and it's really nice to see a team so embrace a concept or so embrace a way of playing with confidence, even though it was a risky way of playing. Um, they almost got out, caught out once or twice, but equally... What's what's worse? Okay. I was being nice. They almost, they had chances of their own as well. Um, and it made for a very, very exciting game. And yeah, as uh, Willie Kirk said afterwards, 
there's no more little old Lester. Mm-hmm. You know, they're here to play. The first 20 minutes were hairy as hell. Yeah. yeah. We have to acknowledge that. I was thinking, what's going on here? How are you going free for free? Is this arrogance? Where are or your is winners? This pure brilliance. <laughs> it was um, It was very narrow. It was, they were under the cost for a lot of it. Massive shout out to CJ Bott, who picks up player of the match. Uh, I thought she had a great performance. I thought she was here, there and everywhere yeah. trying to sweep up things. And also Sophie Howard as well. I thought they did their absolute best kind of growing into that uncomfortableness as you said um, so yeah well done Lester I think you could have walked away with the draw there I think you're unlucky not to do so yeah. So what's yours come on uh, my moment of the weekend is Nuskin riding her bike to the Chelsea game uh, bagging what I class as a hat-trick me too bit of a yeah, controversial one with a possible own goal but I'd say a hat-trick yeah. and then casually riding home again not easy with the match ball under your arm I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I thought that was a really love, touching moment. People just sort of like watching her ride down to King's Meadow <laughs> as if nothing was happening, as if she wasn't one of the most famous footballers in the WSL right now, uh, doing her business and, you know, casually being very environmentally friendly, caring for the planet, caring for the, the beautiful game and, um, and yeah, sailing off into the sunset. So well done, Nuskin. Um, right. Big, big weekend, but not controversial. I feel like everything sort of went to plan this weekend. The teams that we were expecting to pick up the points picked up the points, apart from Aston Villa Spurs. I think they were probably the game that everyone expected to be a little bit more evenly matched. I thought it was going to be Villa's day. As soon as Rachel Daly bedded that penalty, and it was a clear penalty, there was nothing even controversial about a penalty call, which is lovely. Wow. Um, I thought, do you know what? What were three, four, five minutes in? Aston Villa, back in your game. Carla Ward, come on. This is your moment to turn around what has been quite a dreadful start to the season off the back of the three losses. But in steps, Marta Thomas. Please use her full name. Marta scores goals, Thomas. Thank you. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I completely forgot that. I thought Marta Hattrick Thomas. Is that the one? <laughs> That's the one. Um, she scored a brilliant hatchet to briefly put Spurs in second on Saturday. I don't think Spurs have ever sat second in the WSL table to date. Please correct me if I'm wrong. They're sitting third right now, aren't they? But that is absolutely wild. I mean, we have to appreciate the significance, I think, of what Thomas did. I mean, she bagged... I mean, I I can't even really get my head around because all three of those goals were absolutely beautiful. She's now bagged six six goals in four games. Seven in five. Seven in five games. Mm. Christ. That's even better than I expected. Yeah. That's how good she is. As, as far as I remember. And now she is at the top of the WSL goal scoring chart. She's ahead of Brighton's Elizabeth Turland on four, Manchester City's Jill Roard on three, Katie McCabe's on three, and Rachel Williams all on three. So she is well ahead. But like quite a few names in there that maybe you wouldn't expect. I mean, I know it's early days in the in the league, but love that. Yeah, I mean, Rachel Williams is probably the one that I least expect to be there, but she's always called upon in those beautiful last minute moments. She did this weekend. Absolutely love that about her. But Rachel, I mean, what were your thoughts on the game? Because I thought, again, Spurs played brilliant football. Absolutely brilliant football. Passing, accuracy, taking their chances. They didn't have loads and loads of chances, but boy, did they take them. And the quality of Marta's goals, I thought, were fantastic. I think, obviously, Villa are probably feeling pressure. They felt that this was a a game they needed points from uh, going into an international break. So the first block of games, first four WSL games, zero points on the board. I think they came into this going, we have to get points. So there was pressure there. The first 20 minutes, I thought they played well. They looked bright. I think Jordan Nobbs creates an awful lot of space in that midfield area and it gives them more options. I think the nature of the goals were like, a sucker punch because the first goal came from a mistake Rachel Corsi's poor back pass Van Domselaar had come out to give her an option 
and the back pass was short, so Van Domselaar was completely isolated mm. um, and allowed Thomas to, to chip the ball. So it was I a feel beautiful like chip. It though. was great. It was like, hard to do. So good. But I feel like for Villa, they're like, we needed to be perfect today and we've just gifted them a goal back into this match. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was like punch number one. Punch number two is then conceding in injury time of the first half. Mm-hmm. Ashley Neville heading it into the back of the net. And that team talk is an entirely different situation from what you thought it was going to be. Yep. And I think the nature of the goals just took the wind out of Villa's sails. And it put it felt, I don't know, it felt like they were playing with that pressure on their shoulders. Um, and they just couldn't work things out. Like, Marta Thomas's second goal was just absolutely chaotic defending. Like, sometimes just put your boot through it. Like, there was so much <laughs> passing the ball between almost like defenders in the in the box. It's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? Um, and it just came nicely. It was, it was set up for, for Marta Thomas to absolutely bury it. Uh, and the fourth goal was an absolute peach as well. Yeah, it just feels like they're playing stressed. And when they're playing stressed, they just can't seem to problem solve. Do we think now then, because we kind of pipped Villa as being the disruptors to the season, they were the ones that were going to, you know, potentially even cause upset in the Champions League spots. I mean, they did so well last season. Do we think now that Spurs have kind of taken over that role? I mean, they're, they've already got half their points tally from last year. They were nine that last year they got last season, they got 18 points. I mean, their goal difference is pretty bloody good. They've got in Mars Thomas, who everyone expected would do well, but not this well I mean last year with Man United she only scored five goals so she's already be- beaten her record for WSL goals in a season in four games so you imagine being Beth England sitting on the bench and being like fuck's sake I go away it. for like a couple of weeks <laughs> and here she is banging in every bloody opportunity um, but also think of Spurs budget team thinking £250,000 were spent in January on Beth England. Sorry, and it paid off. <laughs> to be fair, it paid off. It did pay <laughs> off. But we've probably got Marta Thomas on for an absolute steal. Listen, put the two of them. Play two up front, Robert. It could be amazing. Well, that is a big question as well. What happens when Beth England is back? We don't really have a, a good time scale at the moment. Spurs being quite quiet about when she's anticipated to be back. But how do we think then that Beth England and uh, Mars Thomas are going to fit together well first of all I mean Spurs has depth which must be lovely like <laughs> Spurs and depth proper depth as well like you can you can have an absolute worldy goal scorer on the pitch and you can have an absolute worldy goal scorer on the bench um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Robert considers playing both of them mm-hmm. it could be so enjoyable to watch the two because the amount of chances and I say this every week and I will probably continue saying it the amount of chances that Spurs are creating mm-hmm. is ridiculous and if you've got both of them on the pitch, I feel like they're already, they've already got a pretty high conversion rate in terms of chances created versus shots on target. It could be really tasty if both of them are on the pitch. It's just like they're already playing well. And I do feel like particularly in this Aston Villa game, just going back to what's happened with Villa, Spurs are kind of, they play good in the first half, but mm-hmm. in the second half, they always seem to step it up a gear. They're kind of becoming a bit of a second half team. I think we've seen it in most of their games. We saw it against Chelsea. We saw it against Brighton. For Villa to go in, 2-1 down knowing Spurs are probably going to step it up a gear in the second half is another thing to contend with so I just yeah I, I think it could be Spurs could be the one taking over that mantle and it's interesting and it's something that the Villa board or management should look at is that it happens right teams overachieve mm-hmm. boards then naively set their bar too high yep. and then it's pretty bloody hard to overachieve a second season in a row right we saw with Spurs they got rid of Ryan Skinner but that was after like nine games or something or more um, with no points or, or without a win uh, and 
you know, Spurs are, it, it's time. Time is needed, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, Everton have done that. They've been ruthless and silly in the past. And look at what Willie Kirk's doing now. Yep. So I think it's, I can understand it being a little bit stressful at times for Villa fans right now, but it's four games in. Things will come good. Kenza Daly will come back. Kirsty Hansen will come back. They'll get their heads together. The break might be good for them. Um, and, you know, they just need to look at Spurs and say, give it time. We could be back. We'll be back up there again. I think it's. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think, um, you know, when you look at Spurs' progress in the WSL, they've obviously come through quite a lot of change, quite a lot of transition. I think this is their fourth, fifth season in the WSL now. Been through, this is their third change of manager um, and recruited heavily this year. And I include mean, Vicky Jepsen interim. Yeah, so four managers, I suppose, over the last four or five seasons. When you look at sort of where they've changed grounds, they've brought in, yeah, Beth England, Grace Clinton, who's obviously just had a call up to the Lionesses squad. Uh, you've got Martha Thomas doing the absolute business. Um, yeah, and this new manager, I mean, Robert Vil- Vilham. Vilham, yeah. Uh, he said, we didn't hold back with his praise uh, this weekend, and rightly so. I think there should be an appreciation of how far they've come. Um, he said, you can see we have really good character in this group. You can see how brave we are in the build-up and how we play in the Tottenham way. It's a joy to watch. Isn't it nice to have a Tottenham way? Like, <sighs> there's a way, there's a style you can attribute to Tottenham. You can say they're becoming a second-half team. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't perform in the first, they do, but they improve as the match goes. Like, there's a style you can look at and say, yeah, that's a real Tottenham way of playing. Second half Spurs. Love it. The Tottenham way. Um, yeah, they did. They looked well organised. They obviously picked up wins against Villa, Brighton uh, and Bristol City, uh, building on a, a really good opening day against Chelsea. Well, I think they, you know, that was tight in itself. Um, but I think, yeah, you've got the, the concern is now for Aston Villa. And I think they have had a tough start to the season. Do we think now that Carla Ward is on the line I think, a little bit? I don't want, I, I, no. I think... She shouldn't be. I absolutely think she shouldn't be. I think nothing's changed essentially from last season apart from factors that go against her. She hasn't changed, like you said, as a as a manager. I think the formations, the style of play that she has, you can still see it's there. Mistakes are being made, stupid mistakes are being made and not capitalising on, you know, getting that penalty, you know, building on that, trying to get the 2-0 and, you know, it, things do happen at the start of the season. We, we saw Manchester City last season you know, they only got six points out of their first four games. There's a manager who's been given plenty of time. It's that. And sometimes you do just have bad starts. So I think we need to, I don't want to get into the Premier League model of like you see a run of games and all of a sudden the manager's out. It's not going to, it's not helpful. But it's, and it's, what worries me is that there is an element of that creeping into the game. <clears throat> I touched on it there with Willie Kirk um, being sacked from Everton, uh, Ryan Skinner going, both of them now with different teams in WSL, both respectively mm-hmm. doing well. Um, so listen, if it happens you're basically, we're going to have an episode where I just break things and shout in, in the studio because I think it'd be absolutely ridiculous. Um, You know, she needs time. She needs more time. Those A lot of those players have come for her. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of those players have probably, are not being probably paid what they were at previous clubs or could have gone to clubs where they would have got arguably a bigger wage. Mm-hmm. You know, Villa's, Villa's budget is pretty low in the league. Um, You know, and I just think if it's a stupid knee-jerk snap decision... It just shows that the board isn't really giving it its deserved context or looking at the wider picture. And I think it'd be a really naive thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll be pretty raging if anything like that happens. It better not. Well, we had a question in from Amy Metcalf. She said, what do Villa need to do to turn it around? I think based on what we... I think we both reached a fairly good, solid, cohesive point. It's almost like I've been that... doing this for a while, Chloe. What? Are we friends? <laughs> 
give it time, essentially. It just needs more time. You need to take the pressure off. I mean, even if you look at the stats from the last game, it wasn't that, you know, Spurs completely dominated. It probably felt like Spurs dominated, but matched them really for pass accuracy, almost equal shots on target, you know, had their chances, didn't convert. Some great saves again from from, uh, from Van Donsolar. So I don't think it's a case of, all right, we need to really panic about Villa. They're not going to, we never expected or pipped Villa to be winning the league this year, but we expected them to be doing better and there's still time to do that. Like look at their, oh, five of their fixtures include Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United. Now I know they haven't played Chelsea yet, but they play Chelsea next, sadly. But, you know, United and Arsenal game, very close. Mm. And something they need to work on as a team is staying switched on in injury time because that has been something that's becoming a bit of a pattern that they've conceded in injury time, whether it's in the second half or the first half. Um, you look at last season, they lost to West Ham, they lost to Everton, they lost to Chelsea twice, United twice, Arsenal, and they had four draws. Okay, so that's 11 games where they didn't pick up all points. That's not catastrophic. We were still looking at Villa and saying, what a season they've had. So I appreciate that four losses in a row at the beginning of the season, it doesn't look great, but we've got 22 games, you know, like you said, they need time, need to get players back. And I, I was one not to kind of be okay with the excuses of not having a Kenza Dali. It mm-hmm. shouldn't all be on one player. But you can see where the issues are. You can see that they're missing Kirsty Hansen. Um, you know, and you look at Carla as well as a manager. She's still a relatively young manager and what she's done in that space of time going from Sheffield to Birmingham, doing a job at Birmingham, keeping them up by the skin of her teeth. She started <laughs> there with about eight players. Absolute saviour. Um, and then coming to Villa and let's be real, helping to put Villa on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of players are coming for her. So I'd think about coming out of retirement for Carla Ward, to be fair. Honestly, I'd yeah. think about at 35 taking up professional football. I Maybe I, I she'd make have. me feel like I could do it. Yeah, yeah. I might have my work cut out, you know, getting on to the pitch with Daphne Van Domsela. I've heard she's fairly She's decent. not bad. Listen, but, Chloe, um, you've more chance to get on that fucking pitch than I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving swiftly on. Uh, Man City beat the team we were all raving about on last week's pod. It was a top of the table clash. The Tale of Two Cities. It was. That's a lovely. That's lovely. Look at you, you little literary thank genius. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we had a question from Darren on the gram. Uh, that's me getting down with the kids. Uh, as with every season, I feel like I'm struggling to judge how good Man City will be, even though they're the early league leaders. So how good are they? So I had a look back at sort of how they were doing this time last season. So... They opened the season by losing their first two games to Aston Villa and Chelsea. And then they won against Leicester and Tottenham. So by this point, they were six points in four games. Mm-hmm. Now they're on 10 points, which is obviously four points better than they were doing last year. And we all, I think they went through that the season before as well, where they had sort of really dodgy, shaky starts of the season. And then January came around and boom, they just escalated. And I think obviously they were quite close to sort of getting a Champions League spot this year, just about missed out. But... I think they look exciting. They only had one signing this year and they, they're they at the top of the table. And I no one really picked them to be title winners this year. No, um, but I think sometimes, the thing with City is that sometimes there's inconsistency in the way that they win. And like you probably have that with quite a lot of teams. But, you know, that game against Leicester could have been a draw. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have, they struggle with problem solving on the pitch. Sometimes. Um, and I think the way Leicester set up caused them some problems initially because they were like, what the fuck? Like, why have we so much space in the wings? Oh, it's because they're not playing any wingers. They're pressing really high. You know, things like that, dealing with a high press, sometimes they can struggle with. 
other times they're unreal at it. So I think sometimes it's that consistency in problem solving when they come up against something that maybe they're not expecting. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone expected Leicester to, to come out the way they did. But it I was think a shock to us all. Yeah. I think the main thing for Manchester City that they take from these is that we still come away with the win and we find a way to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something a couple of seasons ago we would have seen from Manchester City. You'd have seen them 1-1 in the 84th minute or 1-0 against, you know, a Chelsea and Arsenal in the 84th minute and they'd get the goal mm-hmm. and they'd find a way to, to get it. And I think that's coming back now because they're more settled. Okay. All right. I'll buy it. I will buy it. I mean, look at how they played in that first 20 minutes against Chelsea. They looked great. They need to start scoring more goals. And I think that's probably the answer for a lot of teams is that they're not converting their chances as much. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Return of the Mead. Oh, you should have Return said the Viv. That would have sounded better. Because Mead is Beth Mead. and she was back last week. Do that back. Do that Can back. We do that yeah, let's do that again. Go again. Rewind. <laughs> Return of the Viv. Yes. Return of the Viv. Return of the Viv. Twice was enough, I think. Da, 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 da. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Vivian Miedemar made her long way to return to the pitch, playing her first minute 310 days after she ruptured her ACL last December. I mean, what a way to make your entrance. Uh, Obviously, the whole of Bristol City, the whole city went wild. There was (laughs) raptures of applause across that tiny, tiny uh, medieval town. She almost immediately assisted Beth Mead, GF goals, uh, with a through ball. Uh, Miedemar wrote on social media after the game, I'm a proper footballer again. I mean, no one doubted you, to be fair, Viv. We know know you're good. Uh, For me, it was difficult to trust my body and feel confident again, but after multiple setbacks and comebacks I finally started to feel excited and confident and I can enjoy being back out there again I mean how do you feel seeing her seeing her run on that beautiful Stella McCartney kit looking all excited means like oh my gosh she's back I love it (laughs) how did you feel well she's one of my faves so I'm absolutely delighted she's back um I think Arsenal have missed her I think do you that, think? that oh my God, <laughs> we keep saying this will be the game where Arsenal find their feet. Um, still waiting. <laughs> um, that through ball with 
basically her first touch of the game. Disgusting. That vision, mm. you know, you don't lose excellence. You don't lose that kind of natural, innate ability to play football, clearly. And I know she said she, she found it difficult to trust her body again. I can imagine that's the case with a lot of these kind of injuries. But, man, that's still there. Could you imagine if Beth Mead had scored that? That would have been like the Com- most perfect comeback. You couldn't have written that. Hashtag couple That's like goals. a Taylor Swift song. That's just... Do you know what I mean? Beautiful. But yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Viv smile so much uh, in the last couple of games. I think and it's that. She's not really a kind of um, an expressive person. Yeah. yeah, so actually to see kind of like her running on with that kind of like huge beam was I think for a lot of people like the kind of... It was like a relief, wasn't it? You got Mead back last week, Mead and Mars back. I mean, in terms of squad depth now, the attacking options that Idaville can now choose from... It's an Arsenal buffet. It's a North London, eat as much as you want buffet in terms of attacking options. You've got Blackstinius, you've got Caitlin Ford, you've got Little, you've got McCabe, you've got... Walty, Russo. It just keeps on going. Do you know what? I think Giannis is getting a bit greedy at times because we are, He's every so often he's just like, just do the 217 again, it's fine. Put them all on. (laughs) We'll hopefully get a goal. Um, So I think he's going to have to maybe be a bit more selective about his dish options. But um, maybe don't overload the plate. But at the moment it's worked. And a moose-bouche of Miedemar and a a side of Russo. And maybe a little sprinkling of mead in there. Yes, yes, yes. And if things aren't working, just, you know, you know, season well with some some black stenius. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we've done it again. Um, yeah, it'll be great to have her back, especially when that Bristol game, and look, credit to Bristol, they massively learned from that 5-0 defeat to Manchester City. They learned within that game. The second half, they were better. They didn't concede. 20% possession, I think, is what you said they had. Yeah, which so, I think is the lowest that we'll see. It might be a lowest possession record in the WSL for quite a while. I can't verify that, <laughs> but, but that feels awfully low. I think, yes, credit to Bristol, but equally like, it's kind of also highlighting Arsenal's problems, I think. Um, there's some, been some really interesting stats going around. Um, they had nine shots on target this season. That's uh, That was before this game. Um, they've had some of the most crosses this season, 105 crosses. Again, this was these were stats before the Bristol game um, versus one of the lowest cross accuracy in the WSL with 20%. Um, their corners... They've had so many corners. The corners are looking not great. You know, they've got a set-piece coach. coach. There are identifiable areas that they need to work on. Um, And I think that's something that hopefully (laughs) they will figure out how to fix um, because at the moment those areas uh, aren't working for them. I think at halftime, the BBC Live page, like stats page, said that Arsenal have scored six goals from 86 shots and conceded five from 24. Well, this was, you've always preempted my next question, really, because I was saying, you know, you've got a stellar lineup up top. You could, see what you did there? A stellar McCartney lineup. Uh, well, thank you. I'm getting better at this job. <laughs> feels like I'm growing, growing into the role. Um, given that how sort of almost close that scoreline was, 2 1 to Bristol, uh, sorry, wow, 2 1 to Arsenal, Bristol City had 20% possession. They had one shot on target, scoring one goal, Rachel Fernie. I mean, their pass accuracy, they completed less than 200 passes to Arsenal's 711. 
I mean, I know Bristol City set up in basically what you can only call as a, a park the bus from the outset, the 5-4-1. That's what Arsenal struggle with. It's that, but I mean, Arsenal still still had in that game 25 shots, nine of them were on targets. So that's only 36% of your shots being on target. In comparison to Bristol, 100%. 100% success rate <laughs> yeah. for Bristol, to be fair to them. And then they only scored two of those nine on targets, which is a 22% success rate. So when you look at what, I mean, it's brilliant that Arsenal are now sort of finding their feet again, but actually they're not doing... I, it, the standards are so high for Arsenal. The standards are so incredibly high and rightly so. They should be achieving more. What do you think they kind of need to do to get better? I mean, how do you even improve when you have so much talent? Like what is not working? Why are you not converting those chances? Well, I think some of what's been going on with Arsenal this season is the way that the opponents have set up and setting up at a back three has forced them wide and they just then send in endless crosses what's frustrating about that is that it's it's not working and they just mm. keep doing it and um, you know I think they need to be more direct sometimes I think that, and again that's the way the opponent sets up but they've got such talent in the middle of the park you would expect that to be better you know maybe that's something Miedema can can give the team if she plays in that deeper role is is a more central route if you like she's obviously very good at, at finding those passes picking out those passes no look passes all that kind of stuff um, and maybe that's something that they can look to achieve they do have and, and Jonas Eidevel touched on this they do have a variety of styles of attacking I think mm-hmm. they just need to utilise them more um, and maybe again it's problem solving on the pitch isn't it maybe players are just thinking too much and they just go wide or they're just, you know they're not figuring that out so I think there is an element of credit to the teams that have been playing against them and the mm-hmm. way that they've set up. But obviously Arsenal need to be better at breaking that type of setup down and obviously breaking up a, a, very, a very low defensive block as well. Do we think, I don't mean to end this section on a bit of a, a low, but do we think the writing is on the wall for Bristol City this year? They've picked up zero points after four games, goals against 14 I mean, when you look at that, those possession stats alone, the chances that they're, they're getting very zero if if one chance in a game, not getting or seeing very much of the ball at all, do we think this league is just too much for them? Potentially at the moment, I think you have to kind of recognise the, the the size and the scale of the project that Lauren Smith is trying to manage. Mm-hmm. You know, very low budget as well. Um, and I think they're... When you look at the games they've been in and the, they'll be looking at the improvements they've made, the fact that they lost Arsenal 2-1 with their third choice goalkeeper as well. Mm-hmm. Shout out to her. She had a great game. I think she was player of the match. Um, you know, you can't not be in games like that. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to put it in perspective, I think, sometimes. And I think they'll be identifying areas where they want to improve. They'll be identifying games where, can we get a point here? Um, you know, potentially looking at a January transfer window to maybe bolster a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think maybe they need a little bit of, of bolstering. Um, but you also know, really impossible to do when your budget is so limited. Exactly. But like looking at that and saying we had one chance on target and we took it. Like little things like that, they're going to be taken away and going, you know, next game, It'll be, you know, they might have more possession. Mm-hmm. What can we do with more possession? Can we have more shots on target? Can we be as accurate? Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's a, a monumental challenge for them. But I think they'll set themselves small targets. I don't think they'll they'll be looking at the bigger picture. Um, I think they'll set themselves small, more achievable targets as they go. Bite-sized chunks. Yeah, and then see how they get on. Take these games, you know, between the international breaks as blocks and, and how can we improve on the last block and 
you know, that kind of thing. Very positive from you. You well, got to go be. into management. Well, there's no, there's no point like coming into a team at the beginning of the season going, well, we're screwed. We're going to be relegated. So what the fuck? Good luck, guys. Do you know See what I mean? The end. You just got to manage. You manage expectations. You manage your goals, and you don't, as every manager says, one game at a time. Oh, should you be media trained? <laughs> are you are you going to the WSL media school of absolute craphousery? What's going on I here? I thought that was very interesting. Gosh, oh, all right. You well, just said I should be a manager and now you're criticising me. Well, that makes sense. Talking of media potential faux pas. Oh, uh, Jesus. Did you like that? That was very good link. Thank you. Shame about the story. Uh, October was Black History Month. Is Black History Month. I keep thinking we're almost in November because I it's keep seeing all these like, it, it, real. It's basically Christmas and we'll talk about Christmas in a, in a little in a little section. Um, in 2021, it was estimated that the proportion of black, Asian and minority players in the WSL was between 10 and 15%. It will not have gone unnoticed that Arsenal have been in the headlines uh, for controversial reasons this week. Um, they posted a Arsenal women's squad photo uh, and the image obviously attracted quite a lot of criticism because there wasn't a single player of black or ethnic minority heritage. I think um, with the Arsenal squad, I think it's always quite prominent because the vast majority of the Arsenal players are very blonde haired blue-eyed. I think we all saw the kind of Stella McCartney uh, release pictures. Like you said, Rachel, they, it was kind of Teletubby-ish in the, in the way that they were all kind of, um, it was the, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed gang who was sort of in this lovely field that looked like in... It was a bit culty. It was in the fjords or something. Mm. Yeah, that everyone was sort of, it was, I was like... It was like they were trying to bring you into there and indoctrinate you. And to be fair, I was brought in. The kit's stunning. <laughs> um, would I have signed up for that cult? 100%. Um, but I think it obviously attracts a lot of criticism because when you look at kind of the elite level now, it is predominantly still very white. And we're sort of talking about, you know, we've come off the black at the back of a Black Lives Matter movement. The FA are sort of trying to encourage more diversity in coaching roles. Um, you know, we keep having these discussions uh, about, you know, how we increase and improve diversity at the sort of um, the bottom end, you know, recruitment. We're looking at, you know, talent pathways, how these girls are getting these uh, more girls are getting these opportunities. But actually, it's not we're not seeing that much difference at the WSL still. And not to just point out as well that it's not just Arsenal. Everton also have an all white squad. Um, but the WSL is predominantly still very, very white. I mean, what did you think, Rachel, when you saw that that photo? I think one of the frustrations is that they don't see it. Like, they don't look at that photo and go, this looks fucking awful. Like, do we need to be proactive and yeah, say something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, you know, be prepared for something. Have, have a statement. See that actually this is going to look really bad. We need to talk about what we are doing. I think the other frustration is we talk about progress is slow sometimes. Sometimes setting up pathways in academies, you don't see the results that quickly. But I think what's frustrating is that with Arsenal, when you think of some of the best black female players that have played in this league for England Rachel Yankee Alex Scott um, you Anita know, Asante Anita Asante Leanne Sanderson Dan Carter yep. they, they've all, all the played greats. at Arsenal and um, we're looking for progress and it feels like we're going backwards a little bit and mm -hmm. I think that's really frustrating from Arsenal well, they did release a statement afterwards uh, after people sort of kicked off and said, you know, what's going on here, Arsenal? Uh, they said, we acknowledge our current women's first team squad uh, photo does not reflect, or oh, sorry, not even just the photo, the actual squad itself, uh, does not reflect the diversity that exists across the club and the communities we represent. Increasing participation among young women and girls from diverse backgrounds is a key priority for us at academy level with specific measures in place to improve pathways and accessibilities. 
Um, across all of our teams, including men's and women's and academies, we're proud of our pl- players from diverse backgrounds who have contributed to our history, uh, success and culture. It's now a priority for our club to continue to drive greater diversity and inclusion and create a sense of belonging for everyone connected to the club. I think it... it that was nine days later, by the way. Yeah, it's... Um, the statement isn't good enough. I think it could have been definitely proactive, but I think it could have gone into more detail about what it is, in fact, that they are doing. I think if they are doing great work, which I assume, and, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt they are, what is that great work and how are they, you know, access to the talent pathways, access to the RTCs, the ETCs, what's happening there? I mean, even the Karen Carney report was kind of flagging, you know, how are we getting girls? And I don't just mean from black and Asian and ethnic minority backgrounds. I mean, you know, kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds as well who don't have access to, you know, transport, who might not have parents that are readily available to be taking them to games and taking them to trainings and, you know, getting out to Colney, getting out to uh, Cobham, getting out to all these sort of training centres in the arse end of nowhere. And they're literally in fields in the arse end of nowhere. Um, you know, how do you improve making sure that you're not missing out on great subsections of talent. Well, this is it, because it's one thing providing equal opportunities, mm-hmm. but it's also, on the flip side, giving yourself the biggest pool to draw from. Yep. You know, it's not just young girls missing out on opportunities, it's football missing out on talent. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's that story from Celan who joined us last season when we spoke about what she does at Football Beyond Borders. The one that stands out with me the most... Um, stands out to me the most is how you know you'd have these young boys being collected these taxis waiting outside their schools to collect them after school and bring them to the academy for training Mm -hmm. and on the flip side then you've got young girls having to take two three buses at night to the arse end of nowhere as you say to get to football and that's such a, a a clear example of the problems that we're facing here mm-hmm. that need to be addressed. Absolutely. And I think um, to provide sort of further balance to, you know, Arsenal as well, I mean, we're not sitting here and saying Arsenal are a racist squad or there must be some kind of unconscious bias at play. We're absolutely not saying that. I mean, when you look at the silence and you look at the talent that Arsenal has, it's very hard to... Scandy coach, Scandy players, you know, there's an element of that. Absolutely. No one can say, oh, your recruitment, you know, your signings over the summer, Chloe Lacasse, Alessia Russo, Amanda Illister, Laia Kadena, like... You, you can't look at those names and go, oh, well, they're definitely not there on merit. I mean, bloody hell, they're fantastic, talented players in their own right. So, But I think you just have to look at the squad as a whole and think, you know, where does diversity and equality fit into being a part of your conscious when you're making decisions about recruitment, when you're making decisions about, you know, at the bottom end, sort of like where your academies and the girls are, you know, in the squad now coming through. So, yeah, it's it's a tough one. But then you sort of look at Chelsea on the flip side who have sort of brought in quite a number of, um, you know, really incredibly talented players from all kinds of different backgrounds. You've got Mia Fischel. Obviously, Lauren James has been there for a long time. You know, you've got um, Jess Carter. You've got... Um, Kadisha Buchanan, Kadisha, Ashley Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely fantastic stellar names. And I think, obviously, you know, having, you know, massive stars who are from very diverse, different backgrounds, I think can only help improve the image of how the game looks and also improve girls' access to looking at role models and thinking, do you know what? The game is for everyone. So, yes, but we will see. We will see. This, this It takes time. It definitely takes time. So, And it's a conversation we will keep having. 100%. It is something that I think everyone's got a finger on the pulse on now, which is the best, the best thing. And you need accountability. So you need to be having these conversations. You need to look 6, 12, 18 months down the line, okay, okay and say, okay, where are we with mm-hmm. this? What's changed? where have we improved and also let's talk about the improvements if Mm -hmm. there are some if you're doing stuff clubs should be talking about it they just shouldn't have to wait until Black History Month Mm -hmm. to say look what we're doing you know be open about it talk about it that's how we see this in your comms we see it in your everyday content 
talk about it all the time, not just when there's a month. And I think also on that, three years ago, we wouldn't have even had this conversation. We wouldn't have even had uh, any backlash. That that photo just would have been accepted and people would have gone on with their, their normal everyday lives. So the fact that people are now challenging, question, questioning, you know, asking uh, the club, you know, what they're doing, why this photo was sent out with no kind of explanation, I think, um, you know, it, it's good. There has been a lot of debate on this. The Champions League format and the debate has obviously been sparked by the fact that we've had a fair few big names drop out. We've had Manchester United, we've had Arsenal, we've had Juventus, we've had Wolfsburg. United lost 3-1 to PSG last week. Um, Obviously, it was their first time into the competition and they don't even make it to the sort of first group stage proper Rach I mean before we get stuck in sort of the the ins and outs of the format and whether we think it should change I mean you were at that game I mean what were your what was your thought what, what was the atmosphere like how was the game for you really fun um PSG put on you know a good kind of entertaining game their ultras fans are amazing they make so much noise they have so many chants they're constantly going throughout the game um so that was brilliant and it creates a real atmosphere for opposition teams to deal with um, I think PSG kind of looked comfortable mm. throughout the game um, I do think Man United were robbed of a goal I think Leah Galton's goal should have stood oh my god but I don't think that necessarily would have changed the outcome of the game I think it might have I don't I just don't feel like Man United ever looked like st- like the way they conceded after drawing equal that, that was for me was a really good example of the experience you gain from being in these competitions, those situations where, and we saw it with Sweden and Spain Mm -hmm. in the World Cup, and actually Sweden should have that experience, but that experience of, oh my God, we've just equalised, we're still in this, to go and immediately concede. And it's just, that was a really kind of good example of the areas that they need to improve in, and, and they will improve in with more time in this competition. I have to disagree with the fact that I think that that goal, the Leah Galton header, it was so obvious and so the injustice of it, I think, was so killer that I just think after that they were like, "It's not gonna, it's, the night's not gonna go our way." Had that goal gone in, I think they would have stepped it up a notch. I, I'm not saying Man United would have absolutely taken the game apart and won, and uh, but I think that it would have been a, a lot of a, ta- a, a tastier game. Um, right, they're out. It burns me to say it. It absolutely burns me to say it. Their first year in the competition, and they, we don't even get to see any more European football from them. But this is down to the nature of the Champions League format. So there's 16 teams that currently qualify in four groups of four leading to the quarterfinals. We've obviously seen, you know, Paris FC, giant killers, taking out Arsenal, taking out Wolfsburg. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of controversy from the managers. Skinner, (laughs) bitter, (laughs) probably the most bitter out of all of them. Um, He said, we deserve to be at this level. I've no doubt about that. There are teams going through to this competition uh, into the group stages that are not good enough. Low blow, Mark. Our standard is better than that. Um, and it's crazy that we have to play PSG in this qualifying round. It's crazy. It needs to be addressed. Um, and Emma Hayes then said, and rightly so, Emma, uh, she called him out a little bit and said that his comments were quite ignorant uh, and quite arrogant. So um, she didn't like say specifically Mark Skinner's comments. This is but to she you, was Skinner. Like, she was basically like, that idea, that general thinking. Go on, give the quote. <laughs> Generally, you're quite ignorant and arrogant. Uh, actually, that's what she said. No, that's not absolute, absolute wash. Yeah, Skinner later clarified his comments saying that he meant to say how hard it is to qualify for Europe from the WSL. 
Um, I mean, it's obviously prompted a lot of questions. It's not great. It's not great for the product when we're trying to still grow it, to grow the audiences, to have such big names drop out. I mean, don't get me wrong. You've still got some absolute worldy big hitters in there. You've got your Barcelona, you've got Leon, you've got Chelsea, like you've still got some absolute Real Madrid. You've got absolute cracking names in there, but it does make it a lot spicier. When you see fixtures like St. Poulton, um, I don't immediately think, yeah, that's going to draw the eye. That's going to get the attention. That's going to get the crowds. That's going to get the big stadium games. And But there's also the balance then of being able to give these kinds of teams opportunities to get into the latter stages to be able to build to get those kind of audiences that they wouldn't have done before to get the experience of playing at European level with the absolute best of the best so there is a kind of um that there is a balance to be struck I think there are arguments on both sides but what are your thoughts about the current format do you think it it works you think it's just fair that you know so I think there are two different things firstly we keep talking about big clubs Manchester United are not a big club in the Champions League. Sorry? Excuse me? They have no pedigree in the in the tournament. This is their first time. Now, I appreciate their... Man United are a big club in football, sure. But when it comes to the Champions League, like Emma Hayes spoke about in, in that press conference where she spoke about reaching the last 32, getting beaten by Wolfsburg. Mm-hmm. Getting to the round of 16, meeting Wolfsburg again, mm-hmm. getting beaten by Wolfsburg. Reaching the round of 32 the following year, meeting Wolfsburg, getting beaten by Wolfsburg. They have had to chip away mm-hmm. to kind of get into the Champions League and it also then affects your coefficients and the coefficients I think it lasts a number of years so it's not like this happens and then next season you see the it's impact five years yeah so basically Jonas Eidevel said it English clubs have not been good enough the reason they're fourth in the coefficient is because England are not doing well enough in the Champions League mm-hmm. it's a collective issue I do agree that the competition needs to expand Mm -hmm. I think you know I think we need more teams in it whether that's more groups or more teams per group I think that's a good idea we could then potentially see your top one and two maybe getting into uh, automatically qualifying but ultimately it is the Champions League right it's not a European Super League it's not just the best teams in Europe who play the best football it's Champions League and you know Emma Hayes said it Benfica Roma they deserve to be there because Mm -hmm. they've won their leagues Um, so I appreciate seeing these big clashes so early on is an ideal. And I think, yeah, we can expand the league, but I don't think we say these teams aren't in it. That's why we need to expand the league. Agreed. You know, I think we need to open it up to, and look, St. Poulton are going to host Leon, right? That could be a really big game for them. They could potentially turn a profit if they put it in a big stadium. You know, it's important for them to have access to top level football because teams do improve. And Group A and Group B, probably going to be won by Barcelona and Leon. Do you reckon? Who's going to come second? That's a really exciting opportunity for a team there to say, actually, we've got a really good p- chance of actually getting out of this group. But do you know who it's not ideal for? Manchester United and Wolfsburg. DAZN. Juventus. Oh. <laughs> 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 they introduced their paywall this year, uh, obviously the latter stage of the competition, so they didn't have the rights to show these earlier games where there were some pretty tasty fixtures. The clubs themselves had the rights to show the games, which is why you saw sort of Manchester United on MUTV and Arsenal on obviously Arsenal website and stuff. So DAZN obviously want to, in order for that to be a, you know, marketable, profitable product for them, they will want to see, you know, the better fixtures. Had Man United, Wolfsburg, Chelsea, all of those kind of teams gone into those stages, those are going to increase audiences. You're going to get, you're going to have those games at stadium, like Arsenal going into the, the latter stage of the Champions League. They made a profit after that that 60,000 sellout. Like well, it's massively important. That That is, so it's almost like you need those big teams in at the start mm-hmm. to be in a position financially where you can then start to do 
things that filter down. So even though I absolutely agree with the, it should be on merit, it should be, you know, if those teams knock out, if the smaller teams knock out those those big giants, then so be it, absolutely. Don't be arrogant enough to assume that, what, you should be gifted those points. Paris FC. Absolutely not. Two giants. Yeah, they, I mean, they've, they've had the hardest walk, literally walking on coals through fire, shark infested waters to and get then, to their position. And then ended up in group D. Like of all, they could have been like, why could we not have gone into this group for God's sake? But I do think there is sort of it, there, there is that kind of financial argument that we are still in the very early stages of this competition. So those kind of big hitters do help with the financial sure. sustainability of the league. That's the only thing I would say. Do we think there should be a Europa League to kind of introduce lower level domestic clubs that. into European football? That. Could you imagine a Europa League this year? All the Crazy. teams that'll be in it. It'll be so tasty. I think we see and we've seen it. Look, we've seen it with Arsenal. We've seen it with Chelsea. They have improved through this group stage format in mm-hmm. the Champions League because you're teams are being exposed to top level football it's not like a one game and you've been knocked out job done yep. you get to play Barcelona twice you get to play Real Madrid twice right you're getting to do the away legs something else Manchester United hadn't contended with going away having to do an away night in, in Europe like you get all of these experiences and it just bolsters your team it allows teams further down the the leagues or in, in leagues that aren't as at the same standard to understand what professional games look like or professional teams look like and you know they access great stadiums you know all that kind of stuff so I think access to that kind of quality of football is really really good for the growth of the game and a, a European competition could be really interesting it gives your teams your fourths fifths your sixth something to fight for and we've spoken about calendar issues being teams at the top too many fixtures teams mm-hmm. at the bottom not enough and that potentially could fills the gap fills the gap but I mean it's another thing to fit into the calendar so yeah <laughs> not another calendar debate uh, talking of dates uh, Wednesday the 15th of November Real Madrid uh, take on Chelsea in the first Champions League fixture I'll be at all of them all the Chelsea games Obviously, very excited we probably won't see each other from now until end of the season So <laughs> Christmas Chloe Christmas take care well talking of Christmas we have been coming up with some very tasty oh ideas oh my god you're going to read them out I didn't know the they were going to be public of no. upfront Christmas special which we will be doing at some point in December we wouldn't leave you without upfront for the whole of the Christmas period okay whilst the footballers might be swanning off to take a break we will not be doing that we'll be hard at work obviously I'm absolutely going on holiday in January I don't know what you're talking about it, well, you can't. It's not happening. Because football starts. But you and a holiday through season. Early January. <laughs> you, yeah. You and Sophie are hilarious. First week of Jan. We want your suggestions on what the upfront special should be called. Oh Rachel came up with a few absolute spicy I was mixes. being funny. I can't believe these are being read out. I didn't know they were going to be public consumption. The first one. Oh. Upfront, down your chimneys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One of the worst ones. that Upfront, in your stockings. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. I did come up with the good one. Fireside with Upfront. What was the good one I came up with? I can't remember. Are those the only ones I've got written down? Upfront Unwrapped. Mm, it's just... Okay, give me your suggestions. Well, no, that's... What? That... what? Sorry? Yeah. No. Annie? Nothing? Silence. Yeah. Hey, so, yeah. I just You need time for the creative juices to flow, okay? That's what I was saying. Just, i got to just... get all the shit ones out before the good ones come out, right? That's just how my brain works. Well, let's just rely on the listeners, all right? Please send us your suggestions. We would love to hear what your Close take Sullivan's... on this is. Something. Santa's something. This is why you're not This is why I got it. Just leave it to me. It's fine. Right. Fine. Uh, Rach, where are you this weekend? I mean, there's literally only two fixtures happening in the space of these next week or so. International break, innit? Um, I'm assuming uh, you're going to be in Leicester? I'm actually going to Ireland. 
to do... Why? Why would you? Ireland, Albania. That is such a tasty fixture. Yeah, and then I'm coming back to do the reverse leg of Belgium, England. So I'll be going to Belgium. Oh, nice. I know what you've done there. A couple of flights. All right, cool. Put Just feel like expenses. I haven't had enough time on planes. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I'll be watching the uh, England-Belgium game uh, on Friday night and then the reverse fixture on the Monday, isn't it? Monday night. Tuesday? Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Um, fun fact, both games are being played in the King Power Stadium. One in Leicester, one in Leuven. That has to be on purpose. Sophie thinks it's a coincidence. That has to be on purpose. If that is your definition of a fun fact, so be it. Absolutely. Um, right, I mean, savage at the end of this episode. Talking of Jesus. international football, just to round up with a really positive note, uh, mm. the Jamaican women's national team uh, went public on Sunday. Uh, a number of really high profile uh, players from the squad, including Drew Spence, um, uh, Paige Bailey Gale, uh, Rebecca Spencer, Rebecca Spencer, Ooh, very formal, full named. Um, yeah, spoke out against the Jamaican Federation uh, and basically said that despite ongoing discussions with them, they still hadn't received uh, full payment uh, for how well they did in the World Cup. That they still didn't really know the sort of logistics of how the camp was going to be set up. A number of different things that still had were promised to them that hadn't been delivered. Uh, and so they would be boycotting uh, the Gold Cup uh, to be played in February and March in the US. It's the first, it's the inaugural Gold Cup. Um, I mean, rates to take that kind of stance, it's obviously, you know, they had a, a historic World Cup, uh, went unbeaten in the group stages, progressed into the round of 16 and were beaten by Colombia. Um, clean sheets all round for Becky Spencer, bar that last, obviously, uh, loss to Colombia. It was just... It was the first time they'd ever entered, um, so the second time they entered the World Cup, the first time they'd ever got to uh, the round of 16. No one was expecting them to do that well, I don't think. And they pulled out some absolutely amazing performances against France, against Brazil. Obviously, there was a lot of hype around them. There was a lot of hype in the build-up to the World Cup. The fact they weren't uh, being supported well by the federations at all, it looked to have been partially resolved, but it was something they were going to pick up uh, at the end of the tournament. It's obviously helped them doing so well, but now we're back in a situation where players are having to, international players are having to stand up again for things that they weren't promised by their federations. I mean, what was your, what's your take on all this? It's um, it's just disappointing again to be in these same conversations despite how well they've done. It's so frustrating because a lot of times in women's football, you're expected to achieve in order to then get what you deserve, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a bit putting the cart before the horse, isn't it? And the thing about athletes women female athletes it seems and it's the same to be fair in other areas of sport when women are pushing for equality is we tend to deliver with not enough support mm -hmm. and when you then do that and you're arguing for more support they're looking at you going yeah but you've already achieved and you didn't need that so what do you need it for now and you're like no that's like that can't be how it works mm -hmm. if women are able to deliver like under supported underfunded undervalued imagine what they can be doing when they're properly supported. And Federation should be going, holy shit, like our team just got into the round of 16 and we've basically given them zero support. Yep. Imagine what they could do if we funded them properly. Like, no more than they deserve. And to be honest, like just to clarify, we shouldn't have to deliver. We shouldn't have to win things. We shouldn't have to break barriers down in order to get the funding we deserve. Yeah, quality is not dependent on performance. No, but at the moment, that seems to be what happens. It's dependent on performance. Then you overperform. And then they're like, yeah, well, you've done that on a budget. So that's all you need, isn't it? And you're like, oh my God. It's literally like you're just going around in circles. But also it's it's stealing. I mean, what these 100%. players are entitled to this money and then to not pay them that money... I mean, but also, is there a sort of a responsibility on FIFA? I mean, obviously, it was amazing that they 
they, you know, um, had just before the, the World Cup started, they were sort of, you know, released a statement that they were going to be providing a certain amount of money to each individual player, depending on where they got in the competition. But even those who were only in the group stages, I think, won about $30,000. So regardless of how well they did, which was fantastic, that was a big step, I think, for us, for the Women's Football Collective, for the Women's World Cup players. But now there seems to be this money's obviously been paid for the federation and then Give there doesn't seem to be checks. any kind of accountability yeah. on or what why why are they not just taking the bank details of these players and paying it directly 100%. into their accounts because the federations from what we've seen before the tournament clearly cannot be trusted yeah welcome to australia welcome to new zealand here's your check handed into your hand bizarre i don't like there i do think there is an element of accountability if you're going to be making these groundbreaking things, FIFA, and telling everyone about it, you're also then, I think, required to follow up to make sure it's done. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We will be back next week to discuss the massive international action. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and x slash Twitter. I'm at Morgie underscore 89. Rachel is at Girls on the Ball. And we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront pod. See you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Upfront is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.